text for the message this morning is the verses that we read out of John 18, uh, verses 15 to 18 and 25 to 27, the verses that speak of Peter's denial. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus' arrest and trial before the Jewish leaders took place on the night before he was crucified, Thursday night. After they arrested him, Judas and the soldiers, we read, they led him to the home of the high priest where Jesus was questioned, intimidated, struck before they judged that he was worthy of death and sentenced him to a trial before the Roman governor. Jesus was truly being punished by God for our sins that were on his shoulders. And as we see him suffer, we can also see the punishment of hell that he bore in our place. That punishment includes betrayal, hatred, violence, and injustice. Peter's denial of his master was one more humiliation, emphasizing the loneliness that Jesus had to endure as he bore the punishment that our sins deserved. When Peter had boasted about his loyalty to Jesus earlier that day, Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him before the night was over. As he did in the garden, also now in the courtyard, the Lord Jesus was preparing his disciples for the task of going out into the world as his witnesses. Our text describes an important lesson for Peter about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And on this day of a public profession of faith, it is also an important lesson for us to know. Do we understand what it means to follow him, to be known as his disciples? And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. The Spirit leads us to publicly declare that we are with Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than just watching, more than just words, and it's also evidence of God's preserving grace. If you have your Bibles open in front of you, you can see the detail of John's description of what happened on that Thursday night. The detailed description begins with a closer look at what was happening at the gate to the courtyard. Peter had followed Jesus at a, at a distance after he was arrested, together with an other unnamed disciple who had been free to enter the courtyard with Jesus. We can read about that in verse 15. And although we can't be certain, the unnamed disciple is probably John, who was often with Peter, and could have had access to the high priest's home in order to sell the fish that they had caught as part of their business. After the other disciples spoke to the servant girl who was the doorkeeper, he brought Peter into the compound. And as Peter walked through the gate, possibly still with his sword in his sheath as a testimony to his brave support of Jesus in the garden, we are reminded of his strong words 
that he would be willing to lay down his life to follow Jesus wherever he went. And on its own, we might appreciate Peter's boldness and his willingness to walk right into the courtyard where the men who had arrested Jesus would be standing. But when we remember that Jesus had stood up to the soldiers and at the time of his arrest, verse 8 and 9 of John 18, when we remember that Jesus had stood up to the soldiers and commanded them to let the disciples go free, we realize that Peter's decision to follow was a refusal to accept the freedom that Jesus had secured for him. Jesus had made it clear to Peter several times that he could not follow Jesus into this trial. Not now. Because Peter was not the Savior and only Jesus could drink the cup of God's wrath. As Jesus had shown Peter when he washed his feet, Peter had to learn to receive Christ Jesus' obedience and death for him and in his place. Peter did not need to be in the courtyard because Jesus had already been led there to suffer in his place. In fact, Peter would have shown more loyalty to Jesus if he had stayed away. Faithful disciples don't need to willingly put their faith to the test to earn the praise of God that Christ has already accomplished for them. Many of the temptations that we face, we don't even need to face. Many times we fall into trials of our own making. Jesus taught us to pray that we might not be led into temptation because he knows how weak we often are. And so we we study all the secular ideas and we, we watch the worldly films and we, we try to please worldly people. And so we look a lot like Peter entering through that gate into the high priest's courtyard, so confident in the strength of our own faith and so wise in our own eyes that we begin to trust in Jesus less. Well, whether Peter was trying to prove that he was more devoted than the other disciples, as he said, for example, in Matthew 26, verse 33. Or if he was trying to prove that Jesus was mistaken when he said that, he would, that Peter would deny him. Or his selfish curiosity just made him want to see the end. The sad results show that it had been a very bad decision. If the other disciple is John, he probably wrote about this in, in the gospel we read to, to confess that he had a role in Peter's by letting Peter into the courtyard. Before Peter even spoke one word, he showed his lack of respect and trust in Jesus, and he added to our Lord's suffering by entering through that gate into the courtyard. And then there, Peter's interaction with the servants and the bystanders in the courtyard revealed that 
He was, he was really hoping to, to just watch Jesus, to, to be that neutral observer who fit in with the crowd, warming themselves by the fire, without being known as one of Jesus' disciples. There are many people in the world who want the same thing as Peter did as he entered into that gate and to face those, the trials and temptations. They're the type who admire Jesus in their hearts and perhaps even talk to him in hushed tones in a one-on-one relationship, but they recoil from the responsibility of being known publicly as a member of his church. They assure themselves that they will be with Jesus in spirit when it suits them, like a secret follower on Facebook. And since no one knows, then no one will expect anything from them. No responsibilities. Well, the thing is, God knows the heart. He will not let his children hide under bushels. He is the the light of the world. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than just watching, more than just looking like everyone else in the crowd. And although Peter did not need to be here to face this temptation, now that he was there, he would be called upon to show that he was a true disciple by publicly declaring his faith. And so we read the doorkeeper in the high priest's house She met him. She had the task of ensuring that she knew everybody who came into the courtyard, especially at such a late hour on such an unusual night. It was her duty to know if Peter was with Jesus or not. Well, the form of her derogatory question shows that she expected expected that this man who had been brought in by one of Jesus' disciples, was also one of Jesus' disciples. And her words and the form of her question, it contained the the smug disdain of a servant of the mighty high priest in the capital city looking down her nose at this fisherman hick from Galilee who should be embarrassed by his association with the man on trial before her master. Don't tell me you're one of them too. But however the question came across, Peter really had only two options to follow in his answer. Either he was with Jesus or he was not. Either he was a disciple like the one who had brought him into the courtyard or he was a disciple like Judas who had abandoned his master. There can be no watching. And Jesus was teaching Peter, teaching the church, there is no room for this uncommitted, undecided, window-shopping disciples. And if Peter didn't publicly declare that he was with Jesus, then all he could say was that he was not one of Jesus' disciples. And sadly, that's what he said. He said, I am not. The two choices presented by the doorkeeper's question resound through the ages. They continue to be repeated in the lives of of everyone right up until today. 
Are you also with Jesus? Will you declare publicly that you are one of his disciples? Because discipleship is more than just watching from the crowd. The Spirit pulls you out of the crowd and calls you to stand for what you believe. And it requires more than just some noble words, more than just a a willing spirit. Well, following John's detailed description, we move now from the gate and we move into the courtyard next to a charcoal fire that was built to give some warmth on this cold night. While Jesus was being questioned, perhaps in, in in a room overlooking a courtyard here, Peter was with the servants and officers standing outside. We read in verse 18 and then again in verse 25, he was warming himself. He was with them, with them, warming himself. He was with them, but he didn't fit in. He had come later. He had been questioned by the doorkeeper. He had a noticeable Galilean accent when he spoke. And when they repeated the question the doorkeeper had asked, he insisted again that he was not one of Jesus' disciples. This is the second time Peter denied being one of Jesus' disciples. Perhaps in his mind he had made a distinction between denying that he was one of the men following Jesus around and denying his love for Jesus. If we put it in today's term, it would be like, those who think you, they can love Jesus, while at the same time publicly denying any association with the visible church. Even Jesus' enemies could see that was a contradiction. Well, Peter's lies must have been obvious to this large group of witnesses. Maybe not so much to Peter, but everybody knew the truth very clearly. And another man asks him in verse 26, did I not see you in the garden with him? Referring to the arrest in the first 11 verses of John 18. The situation heats up and it's not just from that charcoal fire. But Peter's words by the fire in the courtyard were not as brave as his sword was in the garden. In fact, as he spoke to the relative of the man whose ear he had cut off, he needed to deny that he was in the garden with Jesus because his sword had cut off the man's ear. The irony is that at the end of it all, Peter needs to be more ashamed before this crowd because of his own rash behavior than of Jesus who had healed the man whose ear had been cut off, or his faithful disciples who had walked in and out freely. To be Jesus' disciples means more than just wanting to be a disciple. It means more than than just words. Peter's willing spirit and his, his bold words to Jesus did not prevent him from denying Jesus and denying Jesus, and denying Jesus. It was 
a lamentable fall. And what makes it even worse is that it does that there does not appear to be any danger for Peter. There's nothing that could have forced a denial out of his lips. He was not being tortured. His family was not being threatened. There was no spear point aimed at his throat. His denial of Jesus was so unforced, it almost looked like he was eager to deny Jesus. He denied Jesus to a young female servant who knew that the other disciple was with Jesus and who merely asked a simple standard security question on an unusual night of activity. The servant girl had no authority to condemn Peter and no harm had come to the other disciple who obviously was with Jesus. In fact, Jesus had not even been condemned yet. And even though the other bystanders were increasingly suspicious of Peter's involvement, Peter was not a prisoner. Jesus himself had ensured that Peter was not, had not been arrested. Jesus had put no obligation on Peter to come to the high priest's house, much less to remain there. That's why Peter so easily left. He went outside after he wept. So much for Peter's brave words to be willing to die for Jesus. Clearly, it would take more than just good intentions to be one of Jesus' disciples. Well, when we publicly profess our faith before God and before his congregation in the most welcoming and encouraging environment that you can imagine, while our confidence is at an all-time high. We feel like we can withstand any temptation. I mean, look at all these fellow saints around us. We are courageous. We're even, we're even eager for the battle against the, the evil one. We think, bring it on. I'm, I'm ready. God is within me. And that's a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. That confidence is a <clears throat> beautiful blessing of the Lord. But so is humility. Our Lord Jesus warned us, warned his disciples, Matthew 26, verse 41. He said, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Holy Spirit shows us how overconfidence in times of peace can lead to pride, which often leads to a fall. Promising with brave words that he would stand firm in the, in the fiercest of floods and the, the hurricanes of a, of a storm, even unto bloody death, Peter is knocked over by the merest of breaths, just a, a female voice. He is terrified. And though we claim with our mouths that we have no fear of humiliation, persecution, or death for our Christian faith, and that we are strong enough to overcome the world, 
When God does leave us to enter the situation we boasted about, we need to be aware of the mere shadow of a thistle causes us to tremble. Be bold in your decision to follow Christ. Be bold in your declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. And understand your own weakness. And understand how you can only make that confession if God is your strength. If you truly depend on Jesus Christ for your salvation. Peter himself would later write to the churches, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, he said, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Discipleship is more than just brave words and a, and a willing spirit. For it is also humility and dependence on God alone for your strength and your salvation. And so discipleship is an evidence of God's preserving grace. Peter's flickering flame of faith and his denial of Jesus as his Lord are written in our text to warn us, to keep us humble, but also to show that even God's beloved saints may fall into serious sins. When we make our public profession of faith, we are not so proud as to think that we will always be wise and never deny Jesus. But rather we are announcing that we are weak and sinful, that we rely completely on God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus called Simon Peter to be his disciple, he did not expect a perfect man, but he did pray for a repentant and humble servant whose faith would not fail. You can read Jesus' prayer, Luke 22, verse 32. Well, in his mercy, it was God who preserved Peter. That's the gospel announcement of John. It was God who preserved Peter so that his denial of Jesus was not the same as Judas' betrayal. Peter's denial is different than Judas' betrayal. God did not withdraw his Holy Spirit from Peter, even in his deplorable fall. And Peter was prevented from plunging himself into eternal ruin by the grace of God. Although both Judas and Peter turned away from Jesus' side and could be said at one moment to be with Jesus' enemies, Judas led Jesus' enemies into battle against him. Peter was there beside the fire, and he didn't fit in. The disciple doesn't fit in. Whereas it was dark in Judah's heart when Satan entered in, there was a small charcoal fire burning in Peter's cold heart, even as Satan was trying to sift him like wheat. Judas betrayed Jesus because he hated him. He wanted him dead. Peter denied Jesus because he wanted to try save his own reputation. He was thinking about himself. Judas' days ended in misery. 
a changed mind, cold words from the so-called friends who betrayed him in suicide. But Peter was restored as a disciple. Jesus had prayed for Peter and the other disciples that they might remain in God's name so that they could shepherd God's flock after his ascension. The Spirit kept Peter safe through the trial of denials. And Peter learned that it was not Jesus who was privileged to have strong, loyal Peter as his disciple, but Peter was the privileged one. Because although he didn't deserve it, Jesus forgave his sins. He came back three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? And then he allowed Peter to continue to serve him in spite of his weaknesses. And then we see it, brothers and sisters, being a disciple is not a testimony to our own strength and goodness, but it is evidence of God's decision, God's preserving grace. In the realization of our complete dependence on God, the grace of God shines ever brighter. That's, we praise today not a decision that Naomi is making, but we're praising the grace of God to her. Well, after the darkness came the dawn. After Peter denied Jesus three times, the rooster crowed. And it is striking that the sign that would remind Peter that he had just denied the Lord and Savior also announced that it was Good Friday. The rooster crowed to announce that the day of Jesus' death on the cross had come. Jesus Christ would be led like an innocent lamb to the slaughter to bear God's wrath and punishment against all our shameful, embarrassing, wicked, selfish sins against His Most High Majesty. And that's what our denials really are, aren't they? Well, the rooster crowed to announce Good Friday. And even as God used Peter's denial to further humiliate Jesus Christ, Christ himself was bearing the punishment that Peter's denial deserved. The rooster crowed to announce that Peter did not have to be strong all the time in order to be saved. But it announced that Jesus Christ had come in our place. And our salvation does not depend on our works, but on Christ's righteousness, God's grace. Even when we fail and fail and fail, Deny Jesus for a time. He still holds us. A flame still flickers. And we can be certain that God will preserve his own. God will preserve those he has chosen. He will again renew to repentance when we believe in Jesus Christ. When we trust in him, we never need to despair of God's mercy. For His love is steadfast and eternal. His grace is greater than, than our worst works. He can bring up anyone from the whole when we trust in Him.
And when we publicly declare to the world that, yes, we are with Jesus as one of his disciples, we are not making promises about all the things that we will do in our own strength, but we are simply confessing that God will work through us. Through our lives, the world will see God's mercy. Through our lives, the world will see God's strength, even when we are weak. Through our lives, God will see, the world will see God's love. When Peter was restored, he was restored to show God's love to others. And that is the whole point of our profession of faith. It is repenting of our own sins, acknowledging our own weakness, and then embracing God's grace as a living, active, faithful member of Christ's church, presenting ourselves so that God's grace may be evident in us and through us. The rooster crowed, to announce the day of Christ's victory. And it was a clarion call for all Christians to be buried with Christ in death and raised with him to a new life. After Jesus was risen from the dead and he talked to Peter again to restore him, he showed Peter that the way to righteousness and life was declaring that we love Jesus, that we are with him, because we believe that he is our Savior that makes us love him. And that is the question. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe that he is your complete Savior? And the Holy Spirit teaches us that we can show this love by declaring it publicly by baptizing and teaching peoples of all nations to observe what he commanded, and by loving Christ's flock, which is the church. When God dwells in your heart by his Spirit, you can no longer hide among the unbelievers watching Jesus from afar, but you will be given many opportunities to show that your profession of faith is more than just words, and God will hold you safely in his grip because you belong to him. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Knowing that on our own we often deny him. His promise makes us want to publicly profess our faith in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Amen.